Well, good morning. He is a good and gracious king, is he not? You know, that verse where it says that uh, in words and deeds we have failed you. So many times it just rings true to my soul and my heart. And he is so good and patient with us and loving. And I'm really excited to be standing up here before you today and humbled that we can come together and we can worship our good and gracious king. Now, before I get too far into our study, um, obviously you guys don't understand that we are going to be looking at Jonah. So we're going to be going back to the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at, uh, yes, Jonah, the prophet. But before we get too close and too deep into this, this study, I kind of would like to change our direction just for a moment here. And I'd like to talk about one of my favorite helicopters. <laughs> now, I know this sounds so weird because here we are talking about the good and gracious king, and I'm going to sit there and say, hey, let's talk about a helicopter for a moment here. But I do promise you that, that this will have a segue into um, our context here. So I, I would like to talk about the McDonnell Douglas 500, or if you want to call it the MD 500 just for short. See, the, the MD 500 is a lightweight, multi-purpose helicopter that's been used for many reasons, many reasons. Uh, the military have strapped rockets and machine guns onto this helicopter, um, and now it becomes a flying tank. Rescue units I've uh, used and fashioned this helicopter in such a way to aid in the, in the recovery and the removal of lost or hurt individuals. And now this helicopter has become a flying ambulance. And lastly, certain police departments across the nation use this helicopter in times of high-speed pursuits that happen in their city. Well, now this helicopter becomes a flying police car. And this is where I would like to just take a moment and just focus on this aspect just for a moment and we're going to look at this aspect right here. See, when a police department has a helicopter on staff, it's called having a tactical air unit. It means that they have a helicopter that's able to help and assist with the ground units as they're pursuing. I know that we've probably seen a police chase. If we flip on the TV, we've, we've seen something like this. The ground units are chasing, and, and there's the great helicopter in the sky just following, giving, giving the live feedback. Now, not every police department has a tactical air unit, and not every police department that has a tactical air unit has an MD-500. But cities like Mesa, Arizona, and Houston, Texas, however, do. So the MD-500 is described as the Ferrari of the sky, which is why I think I kind of like this helicopter. It's quick. It's nimble. It's a sports car in the air. And now, like I said, the Mesa Police Department used this helicopter during times of high-speed chases. Now, while the ground units are chasing, the MD-500 flies overhead, and like I said, it relays messages back down to the ground units. See, the perspective in the sky is much different than the perspective on the ground, and there's no escaping the perspective from the sky. See, the helicopter such as the MD-500 will not be outdriven. It will always maintain its visual on the fleeing suspect. And the MD-500 is equipped with a powerful spotlight that can be used during times of night chases. Poof, just illuminates and just puts that, that fleeing criminal right there, right on the spotlight. It's loaded with cameras. It's loaded with computers that spit out real-time imaging to help track the suspect. And like I mentioned earlier, it's wicked fast. So why do I bring this up? Why do I bring up the MD-500? Why do I bring up this whole tactical air unit? Well, it's because during times of high-speed pursuits, 
having one of these helicopters makes it really difficult for a fleeing suspect to get away. And in today's sermon, we're not just going to see a fleeing suspect try to get away. No, we're going to see a prophet of God try to make a grand escape. See, the prophet's name is Jonah. And he does everything he can to try to escape. He flees from God, or at least he tries to. And in times of pursuits, sometimes criminals, they may zig, they may zag in order to create confusion for the chasing ground units, but there's no confusing the great eye in the sky. See, the MD-500 has perfect perspective on what is happening during times of pursuit. And so does God. So does God. God in this story is the tactical air unit. God is the MD-500, and Jonah is the fleeing suspect the fleeing criminal. So it does us well this morning to dive into this account, even if we did learn it a long time ago in in nursery school or or Sunday school. But I want to take some time this morning to look deep into the book of Jonah because I want us to see God's sovereign hand at work. But more importantly, I want us to see God's sovereign mercy at work. I want us to see God's reluctance to see people perish over God's reluctance or over Jonah's reluctance, to to follow God's commission. See, we get a really good picture of God's personality in this book. And we'll see God's mercy delivered throughout these pages, throughout these verses, throughout the chapters of the book of Jonah. And a picture of who God is, is truly bigger than the whale or the fish that comes to swallow Jonah. So today's message is entitled, God's Sovereign Mercy. And we're going to be looking at three points. The first point is going to come from verses 1 and 2, and it's God's sovereign mercy during commissioning. The second point is going to come from verses 3 and 4, which is God's sovereign mercy during the flight. And lastly, it's going to be of a bigger point. It's going to come from verses 4 through 17, and it's God's sovereign mercy during the pursuit. So if you have not yet already, I would invite you to open up your Bibles or your phones to the book of Jonah. I ask you to open up your hearts and open up your ears. I will read these first 17 verses. We'll pray, and then we're going to dive in. Verse 1, it reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come to us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good and gracious. Where our words and our thoughts and actions fail you, you never fail. Where me, we, as people may want to flee from you, you pursue us. We're grateful and thankful for that, Father. Lord, I pray that this message would be an encouragement to all of us as it was an encouragement to me. I pray that this message would help us to look inside ourselves, to look at our personality, at our character, and see that maybe there may be some Jonah-like qualities in us. But Father, we don't need to focus on that. We need to focus on your sovereign mercy. So Lord, work through me as I give this message. Encourage our hearts. And Lord, we give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we go into our first point here, God's sovereign mercy during commissioning. So we see that it opens up with the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. See, we read right off the bat here that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. There is no slow plot buildup here. It's like a movie that starts you right into the action. We know exactly what's going on, who's involved, and what's happening. It's not a slow buildup. We're thrusted in. And it says here, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And I want to just take a moment right now because it's so easy, it's just out of familiarity, to just read over these words. And now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Yeah, okay. And now the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Okay, uh uh-huh. And now the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Mm Mm-hmm. But we can't do that. Remember, this is God-inspired words here. This is the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. We need to take this in for a moment and think about the depth and the power of this because the word of the Lord is breaking into Jonah's life. He is crashing into Jonah's life. These are powerful words here. This is like light busting in and breaking through the darkness. This is like a loud horn piercing through the silence. It's powerful. And it's the word of the Lord coming into Jonah's life. See, the fact that there is crashing, the fact of the word of the Lord coming into Jonah's life is mercy. It's mercy. And we get to see a little bit of God's character here. Now, we'll see more, and I don't want to get too far into this, because when we get to chapter 3, we can see a little bit deeper why this is so merciful. But God is commissioning Jonah, but he commissions Jonah because of his compassion. Or you can look at it as, because of God's compassion, he commissions. It's mercy. And this is God here. This is God. 
the one who rebukes the sea and makes it dry, the one that the mountains quake and the hills melt, this is the God that we're speaking about here. He breaks into Jonah's life and he says, Arise! Arise! This is a word of commission here. It means to get up. Get up from a kneeling position or laying down position. Now, I don't know if Jonah was laying down. I don't know if he was kneeling. But what we do know is that God comes into Jonah's life, commissions him, and says, Arise. Get up, Jonah. I want you to reorientate yourself. Reorientate and go in the direction that I want you to go into. In this case, Nineveh. So I don't think that by any means this was a a, a subtle thing. I kind of have a feeling here that this was an urgent thing. I sense urgency here. This is not like God is saying, hey, Jonah, if by any chance you have some time and it's not too much of a trouble and you're kind of around Nineveh, maybe would you kind of drop in and do some preaching for me? No, it's not that. It's not like, "Uh, Jonah, maybe if you got some time and uh, you're around this. No, it's arise, Jonah. Stop what you're doing. I need you to get up. And I need you to go to Nineveh for me because their wickedness has come up before me. Now, 1 Kings 17.9, God commissions uh, Elijah. Kind of the same way. He goes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, arise and go to Zarephath because there you're going to bring a widow's son back to life. In Jeremiah, he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, arise. I need you to go to the potter's house. See, he commissions these prophets. He says to get up, arise, and they went. Why? Because there's purpose. If God commissions and says to arise, it's because God is doing something. God was going to work. There's purpose. But when he talks to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and call out against them, Jonah doesn't go. Jonah says no. So what can we learn from this? What can we take from this? Just this little section already that we've learned, that we've read. What can we learn from this? I would sit there and I would say attitude. It's Jonah's attitude. In this case, he was stubborn, right? He was disobedient. And I would say he's rebellious. If we as parents told our children, hey, I need you to go and I need you to do this, and they went and they did something completely different, we would be upset. We would say, how dare you? We told you as your authority, we asked you to go ahead and do this, but you didn't. That's being rebellious. That's being disrespectful. Well, that's what Jonah was doing here. And see, we can see that in his attitude, it really shaped his heart stance for God. That was his stance for God. And see, when the creator of the universe, in all his sovereignty, if he breaks into our life, whether it's through Bible study or through prayer, and he comes and he talks to us, it's in our best interest to listen. It's in our best interest to not say no. It's in our best interest to go. But sometimes we don't go. Sometimes we dismiss the calling of God. But why? Why do we do this? Maybe we're too distracted to hear his call. Maybe we're too busy to hear him. Maybe we don't want to hear what he has to say. Maybe God speaks to us and asks us to do something, but we don't want to do it because what he's asking us to do really gets under our skin. Oh, God, how can you ask me to do that? I don't want to do that, God. Or maybe we're comfortable in our shade. Maybe we're just comfortable in our life, 
in our daily routine. We are just comfortable. Lord, what do you mean you want me to change this? I have everything all set out, Father. I've got this, I've got this, and I've got to do this, and, and it's all good. Lord, you want me to change this? Maybe that's why we don't listen to him. Or maybe it's just that we think we know better than God. That's what Jonah did. Well, these are possible reasons why maybe one of us may dismiss the calling of God. But for Jonah, he says no. God says to arise, get up, and go to Nineveh. And can you hear the commission? That's the great commission there for him. Get up, arise, go, and preach. God suddenly enters Jonah's life and commissions him to go speak. And looking back at this, and and, and after reading through the whole book of Jonah, we can see that this is nothing but mercy from God. See, God was being proactive towards the nation of Nineveh. God was not sitting back. God was was not sitting there just watching Nineveh live in, in abomination. No. Instead, God does something because God is a doer. Amen? In this case, what he does is he speaks. God speaks. And he commissions Jonah to go to that wicked city of Nineveh and to speak against it. So let's talk about Nineveh for a little bit here. Nineveh was a a great enemy of Israel. The city of Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire, and it was a very large, prominent city. Nineveh was a growing power to the east of Israel, and they represented a great threat to Israel, and Jonah knew it. He knew it. Assyria was filled with violence. It was filled with terror, killings, and torture. In fact, the generals of Assyria would proudly display the enemy's body parts as souvenirs. The king of Nineveh, if he had an opportunity, would display the head of the other king, if possible. I mean, they were brutal. Then they were proud of it. The brutality and the murders they committed, they celebrated with body parts all around them. I mean, this is pretty grotesque. You can see why the wickedness came up to God, right? Occupants of conquered nations would suffer such horrific deaths by the hands of the Assyrians And to to Israel and to Jonah, they were the enemy. They were the pagan nation. And God was sending Jonah there. (laughs) This is like sending a Jew into the den of the Nazis and saying, hey, I want you to go in there and I want you to preach repentance to them. Hmm. Jonah wanted nothing to do with those people. Those people. Those people people. See, the brutality and the killings of the Assyrians would be enough to make anyone scratch their head and say, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure you want me to go preach to those people? Do we ever think like that? Do we ever get pricked by God to go speak to somebody? And we think, God, are you sure? Those people, Father, Have you seen all the color in their hair, Father? Have you seen all their piercings and tattoo, Lord? Have you seen them? You want me to go speak to them? Or maybe we get pricked to go talk, and we think, Lord, they're nothing like me, so they're not going to like me. You want me to talk to those people? Sometimes our stubbornness keeps our mouths quiet. Sometimes our fear or our prejudices silence our tongue. And you know what? It happens to all of us. 
I was thinking this morning earlier as I was kind of reviewing this, it makes me think of Ananias in Acts 9. Remember Ananias? God says, hey, Ananias, I need you to go over and, and talk to Saul. He is over on the street called the Straight, and I need you to go speak to him. And Ananias says, Lord, I have heard about many people about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority by the chief priest to bind anyone who claims and calls on your name. There he is saying, Lord, are you sure? He's persecuted you and he has authority. More authority than God? But there he is, Ananias, being that, taking that heart stance. Are you sure, Lord? That person? But I love what God says. <laughs> go. <laughs> right away he says, go. For he is a chosen vessel. King James says vessel. Yours may say instrument of mine. Hmm. It's not what we think, huh? It's what God thinks. It's what God plans. So the fact that God comes in and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah is mercy. Again, when we get to, to, to chapter 3, I'll come back to this and we'll explain more about this. But for now, let's just kind of remember that those people are God's people. And we don't hold the right to hold our tongues silent. We need to be able to speak. So let's move to, to the second point. It comes at verse 3 to 4. God's sovereign mercy during the flight. We read here, it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah rose. Great! Great, Jonah. You rose, but you fled. So begins the high-speed pursuit. Right? The MD-500 coming to search, getting Jonah. So Nineveh was to the east of Israel. Tarshish was west, uh, as far west as you can go. And we read here that Jonah couldn't get directly to Tarshish. It wasn't a direct, uh, a direct trip. No, he had to make a stop at Joppa. And from there, he would get on a boat to go to his final destination. See, Jonah pays to get away. But does he really get away? See, God is God. And he'll do whatever he wants to whoever he wants in whatever manner he chooses. This is God. Jesus Christ, our Savior, works in mysterious ways in both people and in circumstances. Now, like I said, Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. Many Jews, especially Jonah, considered Ninevites to be pagans, and they wanted nothing to do with them, nothing to do with those people, let alone talk to them about their God and his mercy See, Israel did not want to share, nor did they think that the Ninevites deserved to be saved. Jonah wanted condemnation to fall on Nineveh, not salvation. Jonah wanted God's judgment to fall on his pagan nation, not his mercy. But Jonah was missing the sovereignty of God here. And the way Jonah sees it, the pagan nation of Nineveh was wicked, and he thought that the wicked ways of the people of Nineveh should be destroyed. Well, I feel like this, God. They are wicked. They are brutal. They need to be destroyed. I am not going to obey you because I think I know better, Lord. 
That was his heart stance. Jonah doesn't want these pagans sharing in the glory with the Jews. If the wicked can turn from their ways and love the Lord, then the Lord would preserve them. And like I said, Jonah wanted judgment to fall on Nineveh, not mercy. I think of when we sing, Lord, have mercy on what we've done, right? Lord, have mercy. It's the Lord who hasn't changed. The Lord never changes. It's us. It's Jonah. So Jonah couldn't handle the fact that these pagans might get saved. Uh, Jonah couldn't handle the fact that he's commissioned, being commissioned to go to Nineveh, that wicked city. And I, I would say that I think nationalism, a sense of nationalism for Jonah, a sense of pride, a sense of fear, a sense of stubbornness, were the driving forces that made Jonah go down to Joppa to try to get on a ship to go to Tarshish to flee uh, from the Lord. So Jonah pays the fare. Jonah pays the fare. We read in verse 3 that Jonah paid the fare and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. See, Jonah paid the fare and soon Jonah's going to pay the price. Here we see that Jonah in his stubborn ways pays to try to escape the presence of the Lord. Now Jonah, I don't understand this, but Jonah must have known that this is impossible. This is Jonah here. He is a prophet of God. He is a theologian. He knows Scripture. He knows it. He knows, he knows Scripture like Psalms 139, 7 through 10, where it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Jonah probably knew Proverbs 15.3. That says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Or maybe, how about Job 34.21? It reads, for his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. So with scripture like this, why does Jonah feel like he can run away? Why does Jonah think he even has a chance, a small chance to escape God? His eyes are everywhere. He sees the steps of man. If he goes to heaven, God is there. If he makes his bed in Sheol, God is there. Where are you going to go, Jonah? Where are you going to go? He's a stubborn preacher, and he's reluctant. You know, sometimes we're stubborn. Sometimes we are reluctant. And I know we felt like this. I know sometimes we feel like this. Rather than rejoicing in our hearts to serve, sometimes we run away. Sometimes we make excuses why we can't help others. Or we just simply walk the opposite direction. You know what I think about? You know, think about back in school. Uh, you know, your teacher's talking, and then, and, and, you know, she, she asks a question, and, and what do we do sometimes? I'm going to look over here. Don't call on me. I don't want to be called on, so I don't see you. You don't see me. I think that's what Jonah's trying to do here. But remember that Jesus Christ, our Savior, did not come down to be served. He came down to serve. And if we're going to be imitators of God as his beloved children, then we too need to find areas in our life where we can serve others. We need to serve with gladness in our hearts as it is better to give than to receive. And we'll be rewarded in eternity for what we have done for Christ. 
Jonah misses this. Jonah missed this fact. He ran away. So let's see how God responds to this. Because this is really impactful. This has really been a touching thing in, in my heart, even as I develop as a father. Watching God's reaction to this disobedience has really helped me. So we go to verse, uh, verse 4 through 17. Because you see, we can't have action without consequence. There's always consequences to our actions. And we've talked about Jonah's actions. We've talked about why Jonah felt the way he felt. We talked about why Jonah ran away. But now we'll get to see God's mercy in action. We'll get to see God's action, his reaction. And we'll see his mercy to sustain people and to teach his disobedient prophet. We'll also see the length of God's patience for people. We read here, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. See, we read here in verse 4 and 5 that a mighty tempest developed on the, in the sea, so mighty that the ship threatened to break up. What was the cause? God. God was the cause. See, the verse said that God hurled a great wind upon the sea. God hurled, hurled. It's like he threw it out there. Kind of like a, a, a person with, with dice. We just roll the dice out there. Come on, give me that number. And here's God. Woof, tempest. Powerful. But the Lord here commands the seas to just become a tempest. God here commands his creation. This is the same God, the same God that opens up and splits the Red Sea. This is the same God that opens up the earth and had Korah and the rebels swallowed. And this is the same God that calmed the wind and the waves. This is the same God. And he's commanding his creation here. And as we continue on through the book of Jonah, we'll see he's not done creating things. He's not done with his miracles. This is just one, one small little thing for him. So now I talked about God's mercy and how it's ever so present within the verses of, of this chapter here. And we've come across one. We, we just read one. And I don't know if you've caught it. But it's not necessarily what we read where we can see his mercy. It's what we did not read. It's what we didn't read. It says here that the ship threatened to break up. What we don't read is that the ship broke up. That's what we don't read. We don't read about the ship's destruction. See, remember, God is God. And God can do whatever he wants to whoever he wants in any manner he chooses. It would have been so easy for God to destroy that ship wipe it out, wipe out Jonah, wipe out the mariners, and start over. And say, you know what? You don't want to go for me? Fine. I'll pick someone else. I'll get someone else. See you later, Jonah. That's not what God did. As parents, sometimes, uh, maybe, maybe not for you, but sometimes for me, if, 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 a child, if my child acts disobedient, we get frustrated, right? We get angry. Oh, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. But that's, that's not what God does. God is merciful, and he's sparing he threatened to break the ship, up, the ship up, but he didn't destroy the ship. 
mercy. Instead of God destroying the boat and killing all the sailors, he spares them. He spares everyone, including Jonah, by creating this storm. Now look, God may create storm in our lives. God may make our lives a little bit hectic sometimes because he wants to grab our attention. Sometimes in the storm of our lives and in our walk, we may feel like we too are threatening to break up. We feel sometimes like we're getting rocked back and forth by problems of life. And oh God, this is so hard. But we got to understand that God's mercy will sustain us. God's mercy will keep us alive. Because our God is compassionate and he hears our prayers. In times of trouble, our Lord is our refuge and strength. And he will straighten our crooked paths. As far as these mariners, though, they were extremely afraid. It says in verse 5 that the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and he hurled the cargo that was in his ship into the sea to lighten a load for them. And Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and they had laid down and was fast asleep. See, these mariners were professionals. They were not just hired-on rookies. These mariners were professionals. They made a livelihood in sailing and probably had many hours out in the sea. In fact, I would venture to say that these mariners had probably seen a lot in their experience of sailing in their time. And I'm sure in that time, they would have come across many storms. In fact, they could probably predict a storm just by looking outside and looking at the weather and seeing the clouds, feeling the wind. But they couldn't predict this. There was no sudden change of barometric pressure that was coming on in. There was no sudden dark rolling clouds that looked ominous that was coming in. There wasn't like a gradual wind. No. God hurled this tempest. Bam. It just changed. Just like that. Now these poor unfortunate souls were caught up in Jonah's mess. And they didn't even know. They had no idea. See, sometimes when we try to escape the presence of the Lord, we create such a mess that we drag others down with us. And these mariners had no idea. They had no idea that the solution of their problem was down in the inner part of the ship sleeping. They had no, they had no idea. The solution was down there. They had no idea that they were caught up in Jonah's mess because he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And in fact, it kind of makes me think that the next time I get on a boat, the next time I get on a plane, the next time I get on a train, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to ask, hey, anyone here trying to escape the presence of the Lord? Uh, Because if you are, I'll catch the next ride. I'm out of here. So here we are. We're on a ship that's being tossed around with violent waves crashing. Fear is running on the top deck. The mariners were afraid, afraid for their lives. Each of them calling out to their gods for help. Catch that. Each of them calling to their gods for help. Now just take a moment here and just think about this. You're on this ship. The waves are rocking you back and forth. You're being slammed. Water is being pelted on you. Maybe sometimes it's hard to see because the water droplets are sprinkling in your eyes. The wind is blowing. There's fear. There's panic all around, so much so that these, these professional sailors are crying out to their own God. Oh, God of this, please help me. Oh, God of this. Oh, God, 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 bless. They don't know who they're calling to. They're calling out to gods. What gods? I don't know. 
They're not calling out to their sovereign God, but they're throwing out these words out of their mouth as if, have you ever fallen sometimes and you just try to reach and grab something to kind of get your balance? Why? Because you want security so that you don't fall. That's what these guys were trying to do. The only problem is their gods that they were calling for didn't give them security because they weren't the true God. There is desperation here. Desperation. Each of them calling out, hoping that at least one of these mariners would call out to the right God and that the storm would settle down. They were panicking. Panicking. Don't we see this sometimes today in non-believers? Sometimes when the storm comes and they get panicked in their lives, oh, now they want God. Oh, God, come now. I need you now, God. God, please, I need your help now. But, but where were you? Where were you? You can't just call without talking. Before you can call, you've got to be able to talk. You've got to be able to have some sort of relationship build up. Then, okay, call me. And then we'll talk. And see, that's what's happening here. And if anyone here doesn't know Jesus Christ, or if anyone out uh, watching doesn't know Jesus Christ, I would just highly encourage you that you would. That you would get to know our loving, compassionate, merciful Savior. So that way when the storm comes, you're not caught in this panic state, just crying out, oh my God, help me, help me. Oh, I'm falling, let me try to grab something. But there's nothing there for you to grab onto because you never established anything with our loving Father. So these mariners could see that they were in doom and calling out to random gods was not helping them. So they did the next best thing that they could think of. They took the cargo that was in the ship and they started throwing it into the ocean. Just get rid of it. Again, imagine this. Oh, they're, they're crying. They're getting smashed. Hey, we're sinking here. The water is coming over the boat. We're filling. The water's like up to our shins. We got to do something. Let's grab the cargo. We got to lighten the boat. Let's throw it in the ocean. Okay, let's go. And they start throwing things away. Hmm. I'm sure the people at the end of their trip are going to probably miss their cargo. But see, in that mayhem, in that fear that's going on in the top deck, again, Jonah's just down sleeping. But us that know Jesus Christ, us that believe and have faith in our Lord, when we go through the struggles and the storms of our lives, we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to panic. We can be strong. We can be courageous through the waves. Our Jesus calms the winds and the waves. Amen? When the storms really, truly hit, we don't have to throw anything away in our lives to try to stay afloat. We can trust and have faith in our Jesus. So, verse 6, it says that the captain comes to him and says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Well, we can sit here and see that, that Jonah cannot escape God. Jonah may have fled from the chaos that's on top of, of the boat, and he may have gone down to the inner part of the ship to try to uh, escape the ground units, right? All units, we got Jonah over here. Uh, we lost Jonah. We don't know where Jonah is. Well, the great tactical air unit in the sky has perfect perspective and sees everything that Jonah is doing. And we read here that the captain comes to Jonah. And this is great. Listen to this. Again, the captain says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Well, who said that first to Jonah? The Lord. 
The Lord first said, Jonah, arise. Well, Jonah escapes. Jonah tries to flee. Jonah tries to hide. And now here comes the captain. Jonah, arise. Go, call out to your God. What God? The God that Jonah is trying to flee from. (laughs) So here's Jonah trying to get away from God, and God's saying like, okay, Jonah, you want to run away from me? I'll make it so that you have to call to me. That's intense. That's our sovereign father there. See, first Jonah was commissioned to arise and call out to Nineveh. And God's saying, no, now you're going to arise and you're going to call out to me. So uh, Jonah gets up. The mariners come. They cast lots to see who's responsible here. And he said to one another, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Now, these are very superstitious mariners here. Very superstitious. First, they were calling out to random gods, and now they're casting lots to see who's responsible. But God being God, the sovereign father, he has it so that the lot fell on Jonah. Jonah's caught. He's caught. The MD 500 has turned its spotlights right on Jonah. Poof! Right there, shining on Jonah. There's no escaping. There's nowhere you can go now, Jonah. There's no escape. And so with the lot falling on Jonah, we get to the time of interrogation. See, we read here that the mariners, who finally know that Jonah is responsible for this mayhem, uh, just start rifling these questions at him. And it wasn't a a peaceful uh, questioning. It wasn't like, oh, hey, Jonah, what's your occupation? Mm, Really? Where do you come from? Hey, what people are you, Jonah? And where is your country? Now, remember, they're on a boat that is getting rocked and getting pelted, and they are fearful and panicky. It probably came out like something like, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? And what people are you? Tell us now, what is your country? It was probably something like that. And Jonah answers one of the four questions that they asked, and I find this interesting. He answers a question that they did not ask. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew. Okay, great. So you just answered their question of, of what people are you. That's great. And then he says, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. See, the mariners didn't ask who he feared. The mariners didn't ask who his God was. Jonah just offered it up. Why? Because Jonah's caught. There's no more lying. There's no more running. There's nothing Jonah can do. So he sits there and he just offers it up. He's like a suspect who knows he's caught. And there's no more running. So he gives up the information of the crime. And he goes straight to the matter. And he claims responsibility. Now, as if the mariners were not already scared in a panic, after hearing what Jonah has to say, they are more frightened. Their level of fear just went up. Right there. And it reads that they were exceedingly afraid. See, they get the picture now. They knew that Jonah was running from God, the God who created the seas and the land, and they knew it was Jonah's fault. They knew that the storm was hitting them because it was Jonah's fault, and Jonah told them. He spilled the beans. And the mariners say, what is it that you have done? 
Verse 10 ends with, For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So the mariners knew that Jonah was running. They knew that God was pursuing. And they knew that they were caught in the middle of a high-speed pursuit in the open ocean. So with that being known, the mariners had to make some decisions. And from verses 11 through 16, I see that they had to make six hard choices. I'll go through this kind of quickly. Verse 11, a first choice comes. A decision of what to do with Jonah. Well, what do we do with you? See, the mariners knew that they, they had Jonah, and they knew that God was pursuing, and they knew that Jonah was responsible. The fact that the storm, in fact, was growing more tempestuous. So this is kind of interesting, too. The level of fear that these mariners had went up and up and up, and, and the level of intensity of the storm that was going on around them went up and up and up. They had to do something. They were running out of time. They needed to do something. What do we do with him? Choice one. Choice two comes from verse 12. A decision on whether or not to listen to Jonah. Jonah says, hey, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know because this is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. I'm going to go a little bit off script here and get a little personal. Because I can really relate to this. I can relate to this. <sighs> sometimes when I know I'm wrong, sometimes when I know it's my fault that things went astray, sometimes the enemy hits this voice and they'll sit there and say, see, they're better off without you. You should just go away. You should just... Just be gone. Just get hurled into the ocean, and everything will be better. And that's kind of what Jonah's saying here. Oh, you know what? Just hurl me. It's because of me. It's my fault. This is all on me. Just throw me and get rid of me. You think that's what God wants us to think? You think that's how God wants us to behave? Oh, you know what? You made a mistake. You ruined things. Just go away. No. It's not what God wants. So the mariners had to decide, well, he just told us to throw him into the ocean. Uh, what do we do? Do we listen to him? That's kind of weird. Uh, let's do something else. Next one. The next choice comes from verse 13. A decision to rally together to fight the storm. But you've got to understand, if you're fighting the storm and you know that the storm was created by God, then you're basically saying that you're going to try to fight God. And that's what these men did. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Here it goes again. The sea, whoop, we're going to make it more intense. You're going to try to row and break through on your own strength? Fine. I'm just going to boil it up just a little bit more for you. And see, don't we do this at, at times? Don't we get caught up in this as well? In times of trouble, don't we think that we as people in our own strength can overcome? But you've got to understand, our power is finite. There's only so much we can do. God's power is infinite. And without God, we can do nothing. So let us not be wise in our ways. Let us not rely on our strength. Instead, let us listen to God 
Because God is healing to our flesh. And he's refreshing to our bones. It's not our will, but it's his. So as far as these mariners, they rode and they rode and they rode, taxing their bodies, taxing their minds, and spending all their energy. But again, what what did God do? He made the tempest just a little bit more intense for them. See, there's no escaping God for Jonah. And there's no escaping God for these mariners. He knows our steps. He knows our thoughts. He sees our ways. And this is the part of the account that's going to help me to remember. It's not about me pulling up my sleeves. It's about me getting on my knees. It's not about the sleeves. It's about your knees. Verse 14, a decision to surrender. See, these mariners, after realizing that they were not going to succeed in overtaking the storm, they did what Jonah should have done in the first place, which is surrender. Remember that moment when Jonah sits there and says, you know what, this is all because of me. This problem will be fixed and corrected if you just got rid of me. The mistake is that Jonah should have surrendered. The mistake is that Jonah should have listened and got on his knees and just talked to God. It was selfish of Jonah to sit there and think, just get rid of me. But that's not what these mariners did. And these are humbling words to read here. The first time these mariners were crying out to any God, any random God, just just spitting out, just spitting it out there. But now, at this particular moment, these mariners are calling out to the true God. Because now they know who's sovereign here. See, this becomes a, a, a pagan versus prophet. Pagan prophet thing. What was the prophet doing? He was running. He was fleeing. He was trying to hide. He wasn't being surrendering to God. But here these pagans were. I find that interesting. They realized that God was sovereign, that he was in control. Our fifth decision comes from verse 15, a decision to throw Jonah in. So after surrendering to God, the mariners made the decision, hey, okay, we're going to throw Jonah into the ocean. Now, they ignored this decision the first time. This was their second choice that they had to make, whether or not to listen to Jonah. Now they said, okay, we're going to listen. We're going to throw him in. But you see, they had to be okay in their hearts with this choice. This is not an easy choice here. This is not easy. And you can hear the struggles in their words when they say, lay not on us innocent blood. But you've got to remember what these mariners had just gone through. They were just on this boat. A, a mighty tempest suddenly comes up. They're caught off guard. Their, their, their life is being threatened. Their ship is being threatened. Their boat is sinking. They got rid of everything. They tried to fight the storm on their own, and they couldn't. There was nothing they can do. So they surrendered to God, and they said, okay, We're going to listen to Jonah, and we're going to throw Jonah in. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine being one person, one of those sailors? Okay, I'll grab his leg. Okay, you get his arm. Okay, I'm going to grab his body here. Okay, stop squirming, Jonah. You just, this will be really quick, Jonah. Bye. You can understand why they say, Lord, please do not lay on us innocent blood. They didn't want to kill Jonah. They didn't want to kill anybody. 
And they didn't want to be held accountable for Jonah's disobedience. What's interesting here is that as soon as the body hits the raging waters, everything stops. The raging stops. It says here that the sea ceased from its raging. Imagine, again, the waters are violent, smashing, wind blowing, everything. Grab him. Okay, the water's coming. Hold on. Throw him in. And as soon as maybe his head or his arms hit the water, it stops. The pursuit stops. Everything stops. And now with that happening, the mariners suddenly see, oh man, God is sovereign. We're dealing with real powerful stuff here. (laughs) So the mariners do their last and final decision, which comes from verse 16, which is a decision to worship. And yes, I think if any of us were in that kind of predicament and we saw this and all of a sudden we knew God was creating this and then God suddenly relinquishes his his power and and stops the, the massive tempest, we would go quickly, oh Lord, thank you, Father. Lord, thank you. And that's exactly what happens here. These mariners decide to worship. Again, it's interesting that these mariners, these pagan mariners, surrendered and worshipped while Jonah just wanted to be thrown away. It says here that the mariners grew extremely fearful. Before they were exceedingly fearful, whoop, now they went up to the next level. Now they are extremely fearful. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I think that maybe for these mariners, they were starting to develop wisdom. They had made sacrifices to God and they made vows. That's what verse 16 says. It says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. May I would sit there and say that these, these mariners had quite a voyage. They went from being casualties of disobedience to becoming casualties of God's grace. They probably never thought that they would be making sacrifices and vows to Yahweh that day, that morning. Kind of makes you think, what will tomorrow hold for you? What will it hold for me? See, God's mercy allowed this to happen. Remember, God could have destroyed that ship and everyone that was on it. But what glory would God have gotten from this? What glory would he have gotten it from it? So what is to come for Jonah? See, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into a boat. He went down to sleep. And now Jonah is going down into the ocean. Jonah just went down and down and down and down. And as the men worshipped, Jonah sank deeper. But God's mercy is not done with Jonah yet. Listen to our last verse here. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Remember, the word of the Lord came. First the Lord came. Then the Lord hurled a a, a mighty tempest. So the Lord hurled. And now the Lord appoints. 
The Lord came, the Lord hurled, and now the Lord appoints. Mercy, mercy, mercy. It's all I see in this book is mercy, mercy, mercy. Jonah sinks, and God appoints a great fish to swallow him. And this fish is going to be Jonah's salvation. And again, Jonah's caught. Where are you going to go now, Jonah? You're in the belly of a fish. Stinking. It's like a a criminal sitting there, thrown into the back of a squad car, cuffed, and just sitting there. Oh, what does that criminal do? Probably thinks, well, what am I going to do now? I'm caught. I'm just going to sit here and think about my actions. Maybe I should have done something different. Yeah, you should have surrendered, Jonah. (laughs) And that's what happens to Jonah. There is no more fleeing for Jonah. There is no more running away. The great tactical air unit has got him. It got him. There's no more escape. So that ends our 17 verses here. And and the next time I come up and preach, I will be preaching on chapter 2. And we can read and we can study about what Jonah did and what Jonah was, was praying about in the belly of this fish. But for right now, let's just focus on how amazing this account is and how applicable it is in our lives. Because the example of God's authority in this book is greater than the great city of Nineveh and greater than the great fish that comes to swallow Jonah. Not only do we see God's authoritative power, but we see his personality. We see who God is shining through these pages. We see his compassion, and we see his patience for people. See, God is relentless in his pursuit of people. Even if you don't want to be used by God, even if he comes and speaks to you and pricks your heart, and you don't want anything to do with what he has for you, he'll use you. He'll find a way to use you. So let us be thankful for that. I mean, how wonderful to know that his love for us is relentless and merciful. He abounds with steadfast love. I mean, what a beautiful Savior we have that takes notice of people and he extends his sovereign mercy. Remember, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. He didn't have to be concerned with the nation of Nineveh. God didn't have to come to Jonah. God didn't have to chase Jonah. And God didn't have to allow that ship to remain intact. He didn't have to. You know what else God didn't have to do? God didn't have to pick up his cross and carry it for us. God did not have to extend his arms and allow those nails pierce into his hands. For what? For my sinning soul? For yours? We're sinners. And he died for us. He bore our sins in his body on a tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Our sins, his body, his wounds, his choice. Mercy. God chases. God spares. God sacrifices. And God redeems. All because of sovereign mercy. That's why I wanted to study this book. Not because he does awesome miracles. Not because it's so cool that a great fish came and became salvation for Jonah. And and, oh yeah, look at this great account. No. 
And if you think that's the greatest miracle in this book, is that fish swallowing Jonah? No, it ain't it, man. The greatest miracle is yet to come. This is nothing. But brothers and sisters, before I end this, we may feel like sometimes those people, Lord, those people, sometimes we may even pay the fare. But remember that God's compassion and his persistent pursuit for those who love and seek him is greater than anything that we can imagine. The great tactical air unit in the sky has perfect perspective on us and others. And we need to trust in his ways because his ways are higher than our ways. Let us submit ourselves more onto him. Remember, we are the clay. He is the potter. What right do we have to talk to our maker and say that we think we know best? Let us continue to allow him to work in our hearts. His mercy is renewed each morning. So let us be mindful of this fact and embrace God's sovereign mercy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, we are humble vessels, hungry to be used by you, Father. And if we're not hungry to be used, Father, forgive us. Help us then to develop that hunger to be used, Lord, for your ways are higher than our ways, Lord. Your plans make our lives straight. All we do is just mess things up, Father. Lord, help us to release some of the prejudice in our minds that may happen or or, or some of the prejudice feelings that we may have. Help us to be bold in our great commission to go out and to make disciples of others. Help us to remember that if we don't speak, that we can't be a fisherman of men or women. Lord, you call us to be loving servants. You came down to serve, not to be served. Help us, Father, to be bold in our desire to serve. Thank you, Lord, for doing what you did not have to do, for dying on that cross for us, for your wounds, Father. Your wounds heal us. Let us rejoice in this day, Father, with that fact in our hearts and our minds. Thank you, Lord, for being the God of ages. We love you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.